morning to all of you. God, I know that God's word is always powerful, always strong. It never loses its uh, appeal and its power. So today I want to share with you a subject that I have been uh, entitled, Invited and Expected at the Throne of Grace. Invited and Expected at the Throne of Grace. Okay, I want to read from the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and 11. Hebrews 9 verse 11. The Bible says here, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the, that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he enters the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. And uh, the same book, Hebrews chapter 4, I start reading from verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. The Bible says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much that you are in our midst, Lord, that you speak your word. Lord, you have prepared for us a meal that is going to uplift our spirits. And we pray, Lord, that you feed us from your very own word, from your throne of grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your love and kindness for each and every one of you. And it shows us in your word so clearly that you have done once and for all everything that was required to be done so that we can be in your very own presence. To you be the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to speak today about uh, God's invitation. You know, we all have read about an invitation in the Gospels where the master was sending invitations to people and uh, when the day came for them to arrive at the uh, wedding feast or at the celebration feast, you know, uh, these people did not arrive. So they were invited, but they didn't come. And when the master came and saw that the hall was empty, he sent his servants and says, go to the highways and the byways, wherever you can find anybody, and uh, give them an invitation. Because the master did not want to celebrate alone. The master did not want to, uh, you know, have spent all of the wonderful uh, banquets and then not have anybody to share with. So he, he made sure that all of them, you know, all his servants went out and brought uh, people from wherever they could find them. And uh, for sure, they were able to make the banquet hall full and uh, the celebration could go forward. 
It is very sad that, you know, God invites and, you know, God uses that, that parable in order to show us how he has a desire to invite us into his very own presence, to bring us into his own tabernacle, into his own home, so that we have uh, a time of uh, celebration, a time of, uh, uh, you know, uh, sharing from the throne of God. And yet, very often, people who get the invitation do not take that invitation. Now, we want to understand what is this uh, tabernacle that we are talking about? What is that throne of grace that the Bible has told us about in this scripture in Hebrews 4 and verse 16? You know, God is calling us to the throne of grace. And the throne of grace, we must all understand very well because that's where we can connect to the divine power of God. Now, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the only man who has ever entered into the perfect tabernacle coming from this world, going up into the heavens, okay? Before that, you know, the tabernacle of heaven was inaccessible. It was not possible to enter in. At one time, Moses was able to see some of these things from the mountain, from a distance. And God told him, go and make a tabernacle like the one you have seen. But he could not enter. What we must understand is that the tabernacle that God is talking about here was a place where God desired to meet with humanity, with human beings whom he had created in his own image and likeness. God never created us to be distanced from us. God never made you and me so that we are having no business with each other. Actually, he made each and every one of us for himself. That's what the Bible tells us. And so when we understand that God made us for himself, that means we are supposed to be in his very own presence. And right in the beginning when God created the first human beings, you know, he wanted them to come into that tabernacle, you know, and, 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 and take part of the divine, uh, wonderful flow of life that came from the throne of God. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve never entered into that living tabernacle of God. Because before they could enter, they were failing to keep their devotion to the Lord, and they were becoming more occupied with the things that were, uh, you know, promising to give them some things that they felt God could not give them. But of course, that was a fallacy, and that is still haunting us up to our day because we are still, you know, having promises that are not kept you know, the, the, the devil promised Adam and Eve that their eyes would be opened. And yes, of course, they were opened, but they, were, they did not do good things. They were open to evil things, to things that they did not bargain for. So God was ready to share his glory and his grace with the very man that he made in his own image and likeness. I think that's very important for us to understand. Okay, God did not want us to be distant from him, but he wanted us to be close to him because that's why he made us. 
Okay, there are other creatures that God made, but they are not made in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, of course, they may not be able to share the same kind of life with God as God had intended for each and every one of us to share. So Adam and his family, and we are part of Adam's family, you know, were kept out of uh, that tabernacle of God where we could have that deep and intimate and, uh, you know, loving fellowship and relationship with the living God because sin hindered us to experience that wonderful fellowship. But then, you know, the Bible tells us very clearly that that was not the end of the story. And, you know, when things fail, very often we get devastated in our lives. Very often we feel now we can't continue, we, can't, we cannot do anything about the situation. But, you know, for God, there is always another way that he has. And even when Adam failed, even when Adam sinned and it became a big barrier before, uh, you know, him to enter into the very promised uh, tabernacle of God, God still found another way in which we can eventually be able to come to him. So Jesus was sent from above, or let me say Christ was sent from above, and then Jesus, who was born into this world, you know, who was fully man, but also fully God, Christ, the eternal Christ, became human in the person of Jesus. And he was walking on this earth, and the Bible tells us that he was tempted in everything as we are, but he remained without sin. And of course, because he was tempted in everything that we have experienced ourselves and do still experience in this world, he can sympathize with us. He understands what it means to be under that pressure that we often experience when, you know, things will try to push us into one direction because we feel that's the only way out of our situation. So Jesus understands that. So the very one who came from above and who lived in this world without sin, without failure, without... Uh, ever uh, giving in to temptation. And you know, the temptation was tough. It was so tough that it, at one time, even Jesus himself was praying, Father, if it's possible that this cup that has come to me, that I'm about to drink, if it's possible, let it pass, it by, pass me by. But then Jesus realized, you know, this was the very reason why he came to earth. And that's why he said, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus understands very much how much pressure we sometimes undergo when temptation comes to us. And when, you know, we feel there is no other way but to go the way the temptation suggests to our lives. But thank God, Jesus has not taken that shortcut. He lived through every temptation and overcame Satan in every situation again and again. And because he was successful, because he succeeded, he succeeded even through death and resurrection. You know, that's why he was the only man who could enter into the tabernacle of God. You know, Jesus was man. He was living on the earth just like us. When he came, he came from the presence of the Father as the Son of the living God. 
But when he lived on earth, he was not only the son of the living God, he was also the son of man. And as such, he was able to make that way back into the presence of Almighty God. Now, it's very interesting. You know, the Bible tells us, and let me just uh, repeat this uh, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. So Christ now became the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. Now, I want you to understand or underline this, this, this sentence. is not part of this created world. With his blood, not the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. You see, the people of Israel who were the first people who had an experience about a tabernacle that was uh, built in the wilderness. You know, God was commanding Moses to make that tabernacle as a, as a shadow of things, not as the real thing, but as, a, as an example, as a forerunner. That tabernacle which was built in the wilderness, you know, was made of three parts, the, the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. And the people would come to the outer court and bring their sacrifice and uh, ask for forgiveness, but they would never be able to even enter into the holy place or even the most holy place. Even so, they were coming to the outer court and they were, be, uh, were able to sacrifice their, their animal, which was a sign of, uh, you know, faith in the true sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They were not able to enter, okay? So not only were they not able to enter into the into the everlasting, you know, the perfect tabernacle in the heavens. But they were not even able to enter into the tabernacle on earth. Okay? Only the priests was, were able to enter into the holy place, and only the high priest could only enter into the holies of holies. And even that he could only do once in a year. Okay? So in other words, basically... Most of the tabernacle, even the one which was built by human hands, could only be accessed by only a handful of people. The others remained outside. The others remained in the outer courts, waiting for the perfect sacrifice to come. And then we must understand, you know, the, 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 the tabernacles that were built with human hands were just shadows. They were just examples of something greater to come. Even when Solomon later built a very magnificent temple which was so powerful and so, so uh, fully you know, uh, uh, glorious that even God sent his glory to be uh, uh, at that place when, when the, the temple was finalized and finished. But even that was just a place that foreshadowed the greater tabernacle of God. Again, the same thing applied. Most of the people could not enter into the temple. You know, they could only stay outside in the outer court. They could not go and meet with God in the holy place, let alone in the holy, most holy place. 
But then God has a desire, okay? He always had that desire, and he has this desire today that we should come and have fellowship with him, have a deep and intimate relationship with him. You know, he wanted us, us. That is his deep desire. That's why he made us, okay? He didn't make us so that we should have nothing to do with each other, so that we should be very distant from one another, but God made us to be close with us, you know, to have a love relationship, an intimate relationship with him. So now, the Bible tells us that the perfect tabernacle was not made with human hand, neither is it part of this creation. Okay, so one day when heaven and earth will pass away, it will not pass away because that is not part of this creation. You know, that is part of God's sovereign place where God dwells. Okay, there are many things that are still beyond our understanding. You know, we, we know the heavens and we know the earth and the Bible talks about these things. But the Bible very explicitly tells us that the tabernacle in which Christ entered was not part of the creation which we can see, which we can, you know, understand. In, in fact, it was not part of the heavens and the earth that God created at the beginning, okay? It was there even before. So that is very important because we, we must understand that God has a preserve for all of us to be in his place, okay? And because, you know, we were stained by sin, he had to make sure that all this sin would be able to to be taken care of so that we would be able to enter into that tabernacle of God, that eternal heavenly tabernacle of God. So the tabernacle of God is not subject to pollution or decay like all earthly things are, including buildings, you know. Uh, the, the tent that, that uh, Moses built, uh, which was the first tabernacle, we don't know where it is. It has disappeared, okay? We don't know uh, anything about the Temple of Solomon that was, you know, repaired several times, maintained several times because it was destroyed on several occasions. But today, we can't see it. What is uh, built there in Jerusalem is a, is a mosque of a different faith, okay? The, the temple cannot be seen. The temple is invisible. And so we must understand God deliberately did away with these earthly tabernacles to make our focus firmly on the tabernacle of earth. <coughs> we should think about the tabernacle, the eternal tabernacle of God. You know, people sometimes, they have spent a lot of money to build, uh, you know, earthly tabernacles. And sometimes they even call it tabernacle. Okay? But actually, you know, all we need is just a shelter. Where we meet. Okay? Today it's raining outside. Isn't it nice that we have a shelter? But that's about it, you know? This is not a tabernacle. The tabernacle of God really is of heavenly nature. Okay, And we must not try to do something which is futile from the very beginning because, you know, the tabernacle of God 
only God himself could prepare. And one day, the Bible tells us that we are going to be part of the tabernacle of God ourselves. Okay, we are going to be part of the, of the uh, uh, new Jerusalem. You know, each and every one of us is going to be a living stone being faced in and put in into this very magnificent building of God. And it is done not by human ability. It is done by God's very own grace. And that is so beautiful, so wonderful to understand. Okay, let me read a few verses from the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. You know, just to highlight uh, how important this subject is. Now, the Bible says in this uh, scripture, Hebrews 9, 24, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands. Okay, yes, he was in the synagogues. Yes, he was in the temple. But that was not his destiny. His destiny was the very tabernacle of God. And then he says, Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. So when Jesus went back after having given his life as a sacrifice for our sin, when he rose again from the dead, when he finally left his disciples, says, the way you see me going, you will see me coming, you know, uh, then finally he entered into the eternal tabernacle of God, the perfect tabernacle. To appear before God on our behalf. You see, uh, Jesus came because we human beings failed our ways. What Jesus did, Adam was supposed to have done. And we would have, would have able to come on the basis of our, of our first father, Adam, we could have come into the presence of God if he never sinned. Okay, but because he sinned, he couldn't. Because we are part of the family of Adam. And that's why God said, okay, I will send another Adam, a second Adam, and that is Christ. And so in reality, we are no longer just members of the family of Adam. We are now part of the family of Christ. Amen? And when Jesus rose from the dead and he went up to his Father in heaven, okay, and he entered into the perfect tabernacle, as the Bible tells us, you know, the eternal perfect tabernacle, he went there in order to represent each and every one of us. Imagine, he entered there representing you, representing me. Each and every one of us was having an entry. Even so, it was only one person who entered, but with him now we can all follow behind. Amen? And that is, that is the beauty of what God has done for us. Okay? So verse 25 says, And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. You know, that was a prescribed uh, procedure. Every year, the high priest had to enter into the most holy place with the blood of animals. Okay? But that was just a reminder to the people that sin requires blood to be shed. 
blood from an innocent creature because an animal had not sinned, okay? Animals didn't have the demands on their lives like we human beings had them, and so they were not sinning. So this blood of the innocent lamb needed to be taken into the most holy place on the, on the uh, very tabernacle of God, you know, in the very uh, uh, holies of holies, and had to be sprinkled between the cherubims on the mercy seat to just show us that God has mercy on all of us, okay? Despite our sin, God has made a way. And while this was just a demonstration that had to be repeated year after year, you know, God is now speaking of something that does not need repetition. Because what Jesus came to do, he did it once and for all. Amen? Once and for all. Verse 26. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death and as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once, once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring us, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Praise the Lord. So, you know, salvation is dealt with. There's no need for any other sacrifice. And that's why, you know, when people are telling you, you know, uh, you who have trusted in the blood of Jesus, you who have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that, you know, you also need to do this. You also need to do this. That's a warning sign. You know, that's a very, very big red flag. Because there is no Jesus plus something else. Okay? Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are peddling such kind of uh, gospel. But that's not a gospel. The gospel is in Christ alone. There's no other name given under the earth in which we can be saved. Amen? Only Christ alone. So you, you don't need Jesus plus, you know, maybe fulfill some certain other obligations that some people tell you. You know, in the early days, that regularly happened by people who called themselves Gnostics. Gnostic means knowledge. And they said, you know, we have a greater knowledge, so you still need to do this, you still need to do this. Otherwise, you will not be part of the salvation. And that is wrong. You know, today, some people will tell you, you know, there are curses in your life, so you need to dig, you need to find out. Maybe to the third, fourth, five, fifth generation backwards, maybe there's a, a curse on your life, and, 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 and that can only be resolved when you find out what it is. Let me tell you, this is a lie. Christ and Christ only brings us salvation. So whatever people will tell you, you know, to do in addition to the salvation that God has given to us is futile. It's a futile exercise because Christ has given himself as a perfect sacrifice. There is no more need for anything else. There's no more need to repeat this year after year. This has been done once and for all. 
Okay? And even so, it's so clearly written in the Bible, there are many people who are thriving on that. You know, there are many people who are trying to make money out of the little solution they are offering in, in addition to the cross of Calvary. Okay? You all know about the, the bottles of, of, of water people are selling for this and for that and for salvation alone. Salvation is in no one else but only in Christ alone. And not only salvation alone, but even healing is only in Christ. The Bible says he sent his word and healed them. Okay? So don't, don't waste any money to buy a bottle of holy water or some special oil. Okay? Because that is just a lie. Maybe you don't like it, but that's a fact. Okay, that's a fact. The other Sunday, somebody uh, came to me and he says, ah, you know, I was very touched. So he wanted to give me something. And he didn't have water, so he brought out the bottle and he says, uh, you know, holy water, whatever. And I says, I don't need that bottle, keep it. In fact, throw it away because that bottle will not do anything to you. You understand? So we, we must understand that God has brought us salvation, healing, righteousness. Everything is in Christ. There is no addition, okay? If you have your confidence in the blood of Jesus, you have enough. Amen? If you come boldly to the throne of grace and receive everything that God offers you, you have enough. There is no need for any additional thing that... People want to sell you when, in fact, Christ gave you everything for free, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying that what Christ gives to us was free. Actually, it was a very high price that Jesus had to pay, isn't it? Jesus paid a very high price for our salvation. He, he, he suffered and he died. He shed his blood. You know, he was in agony. He was in pain. That was a high price. But he paid that price. Thank God we don't have to pay that price. And neither should you agree to pay anybody for anything that is not necessary. You know, something in additional. So anything which says Jesus plus must be cancelled out. Okay, because there's no need for Jesus plus. Jesus is sufficient for all our needs. So we are welcome in the tabernacle, which was inaccessible for mankind. You know, even in the human tabernacles, normal human beings could not enter into the tabernacle, could not enter into the temple. And of course, in the eternal tabernacle of God, the perfect tabernacle of God, it was impossible for any human being to enter until finally Christ entered into that tabernacle. And when he entered, he entered for all of us. He represented all of us who are in Christ, who have our faith in him. Okay? And now we are welcome on the basis of the blood that he has shed on the cross of Calvary. This is not blood of an animal. Okay? Because the Bible says that the blood of, of, of bulls and goats can never, you know, take away sin. 
But this is the blood of Jesus, the perfect blood of a perfect sacrifice. Thank God. So Jesus is our perfect representation before the Father in heaven because he came on account of what he has done on earth. Because the Bible is clear, you know, that God is holy and righteous and that no unholy thing can, can be able to be sustained in the presence of God. So, in other words, we have to become holy in order to come into the presence of God. Okay? We have to become saints. Okay, some people still have a wrong idea, you know, what a saint is. You know, some, in some, in some uh, quarters, we are taught that somebody who is to be a saint is somebody who is being declared maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 100 years after his death, okay, because of certain things he has done in his life. But let me tell you, nobody becomes holy because of what we have done in our lives. We become righteous and holy because of what Christ has done for all of us. Because of his sacrifice. Because he has shed his precious blood for all of us. And that's why we are able to stand in his presence. So his blood superseded all the blood of animals that have been sacrificed for, you know, hundreds of years. But you could never really solve the problem. They were just a reminder to the people that you need a salvation that comes through the blood of the righteous sacrifice. And way back, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah spoke about the blood of the perfect Lamb of God. In Isaiah 53, we read that this Lamb was taken to the Lord, but meanwhile he was carrying our sin and our iniquity. That's the one and only perfect sacrifice. And that's why the door to the tabernacle of God is wide open. Okay? And let me tell you, let me give you an assurance. The Bible tells us very, very clearly that this door is open for all of us. You and I, we may not be perfect, okay? And none of us is perfect. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our failures. But we are not coming on our own strings. We are not coming to tell God, look at me, how I have done this and how I have done this or the other. No, we come because we are pointing to Jesus. He has died for my sin. I'm a son of the living God because he adopted me into his family. Praise God. So never try to please God on what you can do, on what you can accomplish or achieve. But always remember, it is Christ and Christ alone, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read a little further from the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. Because I think it's important for us to understand the difference between what is earthly and what is heavenly. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. Okay? It's very important that we understand that. 
You know, a lot of people want to preserve a shadow. A lot of people are saying, we want to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Why would we want to build a shadow when the reality has already come? You know, how would you, you know, maybe you're expecting a beloved uh, person coming uh, to, 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 to be with you and you're waiting for that person and eventually you see a shadow coming and you say, ah, this is he or this is she. And then you, you, you get excited, you get up in order to welcome the visitor. Now, when the, well, the visitor or, the, or the, the friend that, that you're expecting comes around the corner, would you fall on your knees and hug the shadow? That would be foolish, isn't it? But your focus would be completely and totally on that person you have expected. The shadow no longer matters. And that's what is important for us to understand. So the old system, so there is an old system, and really it's a system. We must understand that. You know, so when we read the Old Testament, we, we must understand this is a system that God has put in place just to remind people about their shortcomings. That they could never save themselves. That somebody else had to, to swing into action in order to bring them out of their misery. Okay, and the Bible says the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Okay, not the good things themselves, but just a dim preview of the good things to come. Okay, it's just, it's just like, you know, in the olden days when there is some old footage where, where you see something black and white, which is not even very clear. Uh, that's the preview, okay? Today we have got... Uh, high quality definition uh, video and we see very clear but the olden days it was different and that's exactly what happened in those days you know they had a dim preview of the good things that were yet to come the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again year after year but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay? Very clear. So the the desire of human beings to come to God could never materialize fully on the basis of what happened in the Old Testament time. Okay? God had a desire to come into true, deep fellowship with human beings. And we human beings, deep in our heart, we have that desire as well because God put it there. We may sometimes misunderstand it, we may sometimes misinterpret it and think we have a desire for this or for the other, but in reality, we have a desire for God. That's how God made us. And God wants to bring us, you know, into his, into his uh, very own presence once and for all. So what we can see here is that God had a better way Okay, a better way to deal with our sins. 
and once and for all for that matter. And now we must realize that we are able to come, be welcome in the presence of God Almighty. Okay, as I said, we are not coming on the, on, on, on the, on the basis of what we have done ourselves. Okay? That's why the Bible calls people who are still in this world saints. Okay? You know, the saints at Ephesus or the saints at, 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 in Rome or the saints in Jerusalem. They're called saints. A saint is somebody who is made righteous and holy. Okay? And we are called saints. And I want to tell you, you are a saint. Provided you are in Christ. Okay? If not, then it's a different story. Then you need to come into Christ. Okay? But you are a saint. Okay? Because Christ made you one. Christ purified you. Christ cleansed you from all unrighteousness and sin. And he has given you a wonderful entrance into his heavenly tabernacle. Okay? And we should come before him with boldness, with confidence. Okay? We must not come, you know, unfortunately many people who are not really fully aware of what God has done when they got saved, they come pleading, says, God, forgive me, forgive me. You know? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for forgiveness. It's good. Especially when you have done something again and again which you shouldn't have done. But we must understand that when we come before God, we have already been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not by what you can do or how you can, you know, present yourself in a favorable light that can, you know, impress God. But you can come only by what Christ has done already on your behalf. In the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet is given a prophecy about all this. And, and God is saying, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. So, I love them as a husband loves his wife, the people of Israel, and those, after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my instructions deep within them, and I will write on them, I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Praise God. So in other words, God is no longer looking at what we can do, or even at our failure, because we are, you know, Frail human beings, made of flesh and blood. We make mistakes. We fail in many ways. But God does not fail. Okay? God has given himself as a sacrifice. And so God now uh, takes us, you know, with all of these things that I have said and that I have already read, takes us towards that conclusion where he says in verse 16, of Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Okay? With confidence because you're a saint. With confidence because he's not expecting you to, you know, fulfill, uh, you know, 
100% and you have only just reached maybe 15% or 20% or even 30% or 98%. You know, no, you can come with confidence. Amen? You come to the throne of grace. You come to the heavenly tabernacle because Christ has already done all that was required on your behalf. Okay? Because when Jesus entered into the tabernacle, he was not, necess- he was not, he was not in required to, to sacrifice for himself because he never sinned. And that was very different like with the, whole, the high priests of the Old Testament. They all had to first of all make sure that uh, they, were, they were sacrificing for their own lives because they were also sinners. Okay? But Jesus never had to do this. So when he came before the Father, he could represent us fully and completely and totally. Amen? 100%. And that's why you don't need anything else to be added to his work because he has done everything perfectly well. So what we must understand is that Christ has made himself available for us in every way. Okay? Jesus came into this world, you know, he was living in this world. He was doing what no human being, no other human being could ever do. He brought us salvation and then he went back. And I've heard people say, you know, I wish I would have lived when Jesus was around. Okay? Uh, That was not God's plan, otherwise he would have lived then. You know, God's plan was that you are living today. And let me give you good news. The good news is, that you can come to Jesus, that you can approach him, that you can come to the throne of grace, that you can connect to the flow of God's grace and God's mercy in a powerful way. So God is not holding you at a distance. Jesus is inviting us. And not only is he inviting us, he's expecting us. You know, he doesn't want us like those visitors who were invited but never came. But he invites us and he is longing to see us pitch up at the throne of grace. Okay? Because he wants to pour himself out into our lives. You know, he has enough grace. This grace is everlasting. Okay? It's never coming to an end. It's never going to be uh, exhausted. Because God is God. And he wants to share his grace with us. He wants to see that we come to him. And and, and the Bible says that we should come with confidence. New Living Translation says we should come boldly. Okay? Not uh, shivering and says, oh God, can I come? Okay? But you should know that you can stand in front of the throne of God. And even so, the throne of God or the throne of grace may be not something physical. It's something spiritual. But in your spirituality, you know, redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can stand in front of the throne of grace. And you can connect to the throne of grace. You can connect to the grace and the mercy of God that flows freely into our lives. So grace is really sufficient for all our needs. You know, it's not just a band-aid that God gives us and says, okay, maybe for a few days you keep that plaster of Paris or you keep that bandage uh, and then maybe it will heal. No, when God comes, he has 
healing in his weeks. Amen? And he wants us to experience that. And I think, you know, we should pray that we see more of these things happening in our lives. You know, not only spiritual restoration, but also physical restoration. We should really pray for that. Okay? Because we still have many challenges in our midst. Many people are still suffering and, you know, we know suffering is part of this world, but, you know, we should also learn to trust Jesus even in those areas of our lives because his grace is sufficient. And the Bible says that we should come boldly because we have a high priest. We have somebody who cares for us. And that's why Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have this great high priest who has gone through the heavens, we can come boldly, firmly, hold on to the faith that we profess. Isn't that powerful? So we must learn to trust the grace of God. You know, uh, uh, this is something that I think is, is very amazing. You know, when you think about Noah, we have talked about Noah uh, a few weeks ago. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah had a lot of challenges in his life. You know, Noah was given a job to build a huge ark, a huge ship. And I don't know how, how he was able to do all of this, but Noah did it because of the grace of God. He trusted in the grace of God. And you know, we need to learn to trust in the grace of God, not trust in our own ability, okay? Sometimes you look at the problem and say, oh, I hope I can do that. And of course, I'm not saying we should be, we should be lazy. We should do what we can, but we should never do it just out of our own ability. We should always connect with the grace of our God, okay? We should always ask him, <laughs> that his grace will be able to guide us. Yesterday I was writing in my letter that everything that is before, uh, everything that we put before Christ is actually an idol, okay? And sometimes we are, we are doing things that are more important to us than even Christ himself. So we must learn not to do that, okay? We must, first of all, trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We must trust his grace, which is sufficient for every need that we have. Because Christ is able to sympathize with our needs. You know, sometimes I've counseled people who came to tell me and says, I feel so dirty, I feel so un unworthy to come to God and ask him. And I, I have the privilege to tell them, you can come boldly because God has sent his son to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen? So you don't have to hold back. Okay, remember there was that story that uh, Jesus was giving us of a, of a uh, you know, um, a scribe, a Pharisee who was standing in the temple and who was boasting uh, all the good things that he was doing. And then there was a tax collector who was just making it right next to the entrance, you know. Couldn't even come very far inside. And he was just coming and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus used that example to say, this man 
Not a man who boasted of what he was doing, all the things that he was able to accomplish in his life, but the one who was just standing at the door and he was, you know, holding his chest and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he says, this is the one who went home justified. So in other words, you don't have to bring any achievement to God in order to find grace, in order to find the mercy of God. But you can come as you are. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. His grace is sufficient for you and for me. Jesus was on the cross. And as he was suffering on the cross, there was one criminal crucified on one side and another criminal on the other side. And one of them began to insult him. And when the other criminal heard about it, he says, my friend, you shouldn't do that because, you know, the two of us, we are here because we have deserved to be here. We are only being paid back what we have done. Okay? We have sinned and here we are. But this man has done no wrong. I'm not sure how much he knew about the work and the ministry of Jesus, but he must have known enough. And then he turns to Jesus eventually and says, he asks Jesus, Jesus, can you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. Amazing. You know, this man had no chance to go and be baptized. Okay, this man had no chance to undergo some counseling, you know, understanding the different uh, spheres of uh, scripture. All he was just asking, Lord, I want to connect. I want to connect to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. He was asking for grace and he received grace. Praise the Lord. And you know, if this is true for a man who couldn't even do a thing for himself anymore. I mean, the only thing that he was, was able to do was having remorse, asking for forgiveness, okay? And he says, you know, uh, lives. But not, not Jesus. And he expected from Jesus nothing less but the grace of God. And thank God he received that grace. And my brothers and sisters, we, we need to learn from those wonderful examples that God is willing to give us grace. Remember there was one man who was shouting for the help of the Lord Jesus Christ and finally they brought him, they brought, uh, him to Jesus and he says, I know that you can heal me if you are willing, you know, if you are willing. And you know what Jesus said? I'm willing. I'm willing. And let me tell you, Jesus is at the throne of grace and he says, I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to give you grace. I'm willing to let the divine flow of God's power flow into your life in a way you have never seen before. I'm willing. In fact, I've invited you. And today, my, my, my bottom line is to tell you that God is inviting you to come to the throne of grace. Okay? But then... Invitation is nice, but it's not good enough. 
How many invitations have you at home which you have never, never followed? You know, I've gotten a lot of invitations in my life. And some of them I couldn't just go, you know. So let not the invitation of God remain unanswered. But respond to the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? There was this blind man, Bartimaeus, and when he heard Jesus is coming, you know, he was shouting, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the people rebuked him and said, You, shut up. You know, you're disturbing the master. But Jesus was not disturbed. In fact, Jesus was attracted. You know, when we call on him, he's attracted because he wants to share his grace with all of us. And so he went there and he, he made him see. And so it's good for us to come into the presence of God, to come to the throne of grace. You know, before Jesus entered into the tabernacle, we could not have gone there. No one of us could have ever entered. But today we can. Okay? We, today we can appear before the Lord's. All you need to do is, you know, trust him. In your spirit, you can come and connect with him at the throne of grace and receive grace. And the Bible says we should come in confidence. Okay? Let us then approach the throne of, God, of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in, the time, in our time of need. Is there, anybody, <clears throat> is there anybody here who has no need? Can you lift your hand if you have no need? <clears throat> we all have needs, am I right? Every one of us. Some of them, we have never shared them with any human being. Some of them, they are so, so painful in our inner being that we wouldn't want to tell anybody about it. Am I right? You know, some of them, we share them with others, but we, we, we realize they can't really help us. But Jesus says, come to the throne of grace with confidence. Come to the throne of grace boldly. Don't be afraid that he will not receive you. Actually, he has done everything possible to connect with you and give you the flow of his grace in your life abundantly. More than enough. And the Bible says when we come to him with confidence, okay, as we approach his throne of grace with confidence, that means that we are ready to receive the mercy and the grace in the time of our needs. And since all of us have needs, we need to do exactly that. Amen? Let us pray. Lord our God, we are so grateful that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to become our Savior, to become our Lord. You sent him full of grace and truth. You have sent him with the abundance of your kindness and your love that you want us, 
want us to share. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that Jesus has laid down his rights, his privileges, everything that he had, he sacrificed it so that we can be able to connect to the grace of God, so that we can be able to trust that living sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who has shed his blood. And when he shed his blood, there was no more need for any other sacrifice. That's why in the temple the curtain was torn. There was no more need for any other sacrifice. Because Jesus, you have been the perfect sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, that you remind us that we are invited to come to the throne of grace. Help us, Lord, that we do not neglect the throne of grace. Lord, but that we really appear before your throne and receive mercy and grace in the abundance that we can only find in you. So, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you meet our needs. Whatever these needs may be in our lives, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that right now may you be able to meet those needs through your grace. Lord Jesus, we stand in your presence. Even so, we are flesh and blood and we are bound to one particular place as a human being. When it comes to our spirits, we are not bound. We can be able to appear before the throne of grace. And Lord, it is now that we appear before you. And I pray, Lord, let your grace flow that our needs can be met, that our needs can be resolved. Lord, we all have them, each and every one of us. Some of them are so painful, some of them are so secret that nobody knows, not even our next neighbor, of what we are going through. But Lord, you know. You sympathize with us because you have gone through those challenges in your own life. And so, Lord, I uplift each and every one in this congregation today, everyone who is listening to us from a distance. Lord, I uplift each and every one, and I pray, Lord, let your grace flow freely into our lives. Let us respond to that invitation to come to your throne of grace so that we may find help in the time of our needs. And right now, Lord, I pray, let that flow of grace touch us even in the most inner being of our hearts, where no other human being has access to, where only we ourselves know what is, what is painful, what is giving us trouble. So, Lord Jesus, I pray, let your grace flow with great abundance into our lives and into our hearts. To you be the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. Amen.